Welcome one and all to Tape Makers, the show where we listen, discuss, and based only on our opinions, objectively rank every single album ever released in one single tiered list. I am your host, Josh Doler, and uh, with me today is the eloquent and new homeowner, Jared Richard. Jared, congratulations! I appreciate it. I'm not a homeowner, though. I'm a home renter. Uh, You moved house. Uh, Yeah, Uh, we went went from a tiny 600-square-foot apartment to a house that is causing us to (laughs) experience imposter syndrome because it's so big and we don't know how we got it and can afford it, but we're... Who who told you you could move into this place? Uh, Nobody. Nobody at all. Yeah. So, uh, to christen the new place, we... uh, we got some shots of uh, some white rum, some uh, cruzon. Cruzon. Yeah. So uh, I know it's more of a Caribbean drink, but still, salute. Salute. It's got some bite to it. Yeah, that's a... You know, I've never taken a shot of that rum before. I've made multiple mixed drinks with that rum. It's a yeah. fantastic base for a daiquiri. But I love daiquiris. I forgot I love daiquiris. Yeah, daiquiris are great, man. If you ever want to know how good a bar is, then you've never been there before, just order a daiquiri. Because if they mess it up or they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have a um, slushy machine, then you know, okay, maybe I should stick to beer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, daiquiris uh, daiquiris are good. It's been a while since I've made one. Yeah, I know. Well, we're in the last throngs of summer, so got to get it in now. Right. yeah, how's how's new home been? Uh, obviously, we're in a new space, so if audio quality sounds different, uh, we just got a f- bunch of blankets around us and a, a <laughs> blank wall that has a few windows on. Right. Throw, so so through the circumstances of of moving into this place, we ended up uh, losing a roommate and gaining a spare room, which is going to become the music room, rehearsal, studio space, everything. Um, and the p- new podcasting space. And I have been so busy between uh, moving and work that I haven't had. I, I'm not even fully unpacked in this room yet, uh, nor have I had time to treat it at all. So I just threw a bunch of blankets up to try and dead it, deaden it as much as possible. So hopefully it sounds all right. Yeah. And uh, speaking of work, uh, you guys at Infinity Room are, are got, got some cool stuff happening soon. Uh you guys got a a live show happening. Right. Yeah, so um this <laughs> this is part of why I've been so busy. Uh we've been scrambling in the last couple of weeks to get the place ready uh to host John Vanderslice. Um and the this show was booked in advance several months back when we thought we were going to be fully open by this time. Um and that that's not the case. We are very much not ready to regularly host normal shows. Um, but this is part of his living room tour. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's a it's not really a standard show from what I understand. It's supposed to be a much more intimate, like uh there's a limited number of tickets, not based on venue size, so much as like it's supposed to be under like twenty or thirty people or something like that. Yeah, the the experience there that he's going for is like a hey 
you're at a house party and this dude is the show and there's like 15 people there or whatever type right yeah uh what i heard is that potentially one of two things will happen either we're going to be setting up chairs um on the showroom floor uh or we won't because people will be just sitting on the stage in front of him both those are good options (laughs) yeah those are pretty good options for the uh situation guys are in but theoretically hopefully soon maybe salem will have a space for live music once the pandemic is eventually over it's very soon we are we are definitely uh we're definitely far closer now than what am i trying to say it's soon (laughs) you're much closer now than you were before you realized you had to scramble to make this live show happen right um it's gonna be it's really exciting we just finished all the uh, I don't want to spoil it, but we just finished a really cool thing for the stage. Finally, that's been in the works for a long time, um, and uh, it's going to be really fun. Yeah, so uh, get hyped if you're a Salem local or going to be passing through the area in the next few months. Infinity mm. Room downtown, place to place to be. Uh, what's new with you, Josh? Oh, gee, I went to Indiana for four days. Oh, um, what, uh, what brought you to the old? Wait, what's the uh, what? What are the initials for Indiana? Is it ID? I I N. No, that's I N. I N. I N. The old the old I N. Um, my partner's uh grandma is currently bat- battling uh chemo, or not chemo, battling cancer. Just got done with chemo. In between chemo mm-hmm. and having a surgery to remove the tumor, so this was the only time we could like make it work to mm-hmm. go over there. So we did that. Um, and I'm low key excommunicated from. Her family. Right. It's like some of her family acknowledges me and then some of her family don't acknowledge me. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Um, grandma does not acknowledge me. Uh, apparently, our, there's a photo of the two of us up on her uh, her grandma's fridge. But instead of a photo of both of us, it's the photo we sent her. And then my partner's picture over where my face is. So it's, so it's a picture. Two picture yes. It's a picture of two. And your partner had a twin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, like this cute, romantic. Like, look at this. They're so in love with each other, but themselves. Well, well you're the uh, you're you're the the one who corrupted their baby, right? Obviously, yes. Uh, yeah. Me and Oregon, <laughs> the the state. Uh, yeah. Apparently, uh, their grandma is very upset at our governor and all of his policies. So, oh, yeah, his his policies, Kate Brown's hit that 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 guy, Kate Brown. Wow. They. uh... (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, as you can tell, they don't pay attention to what happens out in Oregon. They just know it's a liberal left coast state. Right. Right. Uh, So what you're saying is. You had a blast in in Indiana. I had such a fantastic time. You would have never guessed there was a deadly pandemic raging because no one was wearing masks anywhere. Oh, yeah. Super fun. Um, I did get to wander around downtown Indianapolis because we stayed in the Indianapolis area uh, one night because my partner went and hung out with a a friend up in Muncie, Indiana, which... uh, I've only ever heard of because of Parks and Rec, but in the <laughs> 10 minutes I spent there, man, that's a rough, that's a, don't move there. Oof. Um, big oof. Big oof energy. But uh, so I got to spend one night there walking around downtown, kind of seeing what the vibe was, which was pretty fun. 
wanted to find a, a cocktail place to go that seemed fun and local but not too expensive or whatnot mm-hmm. and f- fucking jack white mysticismed his way into me stopping at a restaurant called ball and biscuit amazing which is uh jack white just seven minute blues odyssey right song which is a great Qu- song quick, quick but- aside um the first time i ever learned how to jam uh jake my bandmate when uh man i would have been 16 and i had ju- mm-hmm. i think i had just bought my uh it was an epiphone thunderbird yes um and he taught me the blues scale and taught me what 12 bar blues is and then said listen to this song and just play along to it and right. i was like okay and i did that on a loop for like two straight hours in my bedroom and now look at you and now look at me i'm <laughs> please so, please don't look at me do not perceive <laughs> just just listen don't look just but listen. yeah yeah so uh but we did stop at a really cool uh, gay bar slash pub. It kind of had like a... Um, <laughs> Do they market themselves as a bar slash pub? No, they market themselves... Do they, is there a hard cut in the middle of the room? It's the bar on this side and a pub on this No, side. they market themselves as a uh, uh, queer-friendly, queer-infused restaurant. But on Google, it says it's a bar. And so I was like, okay, cool. Well, we're going to go here anyways, because why not? Let's see what the local like queer community in Indianapolis looks like, which right. it, it seems like it's pretty thriving, which I, is good. I would assume that uh, that would be a tight-knit community. <laughs> Most likely, yes. Um, but yeah, it was... A, it was a it was kind of a pub where it felt like a renovated house. Uh, it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The, the food was fine. Drinks were fine. You could get uh, red wine for $3, so... Why would you go anywhere else? Exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, like traveling was mostly fine to get back to Portland. We had to fly to Atlanta first, so okay, yeah, that's that's that how makes sense. There's no direct flights. You gotta connect. You gotta connect somewhere. All right. So uh, yeah, you know, overall, it was a uh, it was a pretty all right time, which gave me a decent amount of time to listen to the two albums we're doing this week. Uh, So the first album we are going to talk about is an album that I recommended. Uh, It is Wasteland Baby by Hoosier. And it's Wasteland Baby with an exclamation point. It's Wasteland Baby. Wasteland, comma, baby, exclamation point. Uh, It was released uh, the first of March. We got to get this out of the way real quick. Okay. How, like, this is foreshadowing by the way uh-huh um i didn't care enough to look up how to properly pronounce his name what so you say hosier Ho- it's hosier okay yeah it's hosier that's, that's yeah. just what i'm gonna use for the rest of the i've heard hosier i've heard hosier uh yeah yeah so I'm, he's he's an i he's irish aren't we all yeah it's, <laughs> what? not if you're <laughs> we can cut that <laughs> um so he was born in ireland so it's hosier it's it's the very like anglican pronunciation right okay um yeah his name is andrew hosier burn but burn is spelled Mm b-y-r-n-e so that way you know he's authentic right he's authentically irish um yeah so and also uh foreshadowing uh, i love his debut album Mm mm-hmm not as like a, I think this is revolutionary music, but as one of your like one of those like 
dirty, dirty, like, favorites where it's like, I know this isn't great, but man, like, it just hits me in a certain way, and I it's can't... A, it's a shameless banger. Yeah, shame, yeah it's a sh- shameless banger I, album for me. I have a YouTube playlist of, of shameless bangers, and it's stuff like uh, Fantasy by Mariah Carey. Right, yeah. Uh, man, what else is on there? Um, Blessed Union of Souls, their one song. She likes me for me. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. Any anytime someone our age listens to the Tony Hawk soundtrack. Right. It's it's the kind of thing that like yeah you you listen to it and you fu- and you fucking love it and like you don't really want other people to know that you listen to it right. and then there's a certain point where you have to be like you know what why should I feel shame for the things right. I like and it's not like you want to have an in depth critical discussion of it because you know like it's it doesn't hold up to scrutiny but man. It just puts you in the right mindset. So that's my experience with right. uh, the band, the band, the man, the the artiste. Um, and as as you said, you, you're not the most familiar or care what he does or yeah. what, what well, he's okay. done. So I um, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll yeah, get there. Do, do the intro. Yeah. All right. So Wasteland Baby uh, released the first of March, 2019. Uh, it's his second uh, full length album. Bunch of people featured on it. I'm going to point out the people who did more than just vocals. And I'm going to specifically mention every single producer on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, Andrew Hoisier Byrne uh, did some of the drum programming, uh, guitar, organ, p- percussion stuff, piano, synths, uh, did all the vocals, played Wurlitzer a little bit. Um Booker T. Jones is a feature. He features on two songs. He features on the track B and Sunlight. Okay. Um, and so he, he does organ on those songs. Uh, Marcus Dravs is, does bass, uh, is one of the producers. Some of the programming, synthesizers, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt uh, Bowder does cornet uh, and baritone saxophone. Neil, Neil Catchpole does violin. Um, let's see here. What else? Uh, Rob Kerwin, uh, is a producer. Mm-hmm. Sarah Lynch does violin. Um, Ariel, uh, Reichhold, uh, did mixing and production mm-hmm. for this album. Um, Aaron Redsfield did drums. Robbie Nelson did drums and did, played on the Fender Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buddy Ross, uh, played the Celeste, the Hammond B3. Uh, Moog bass, piano, Wurlitzer. He was credited as Noise. <laughs> Excellent. I would love to get a credit like that on an album. Um, Alex Ryan also did bass, drums, uh, Rhodes, keyboard, percussion. Uh, Mavis Staples is one a featured artist on the first song, Nina Cried Power. Mm-hmm. And so double takes on vocals. So again, the four producers are Marcus Dravs, Andrew Hoysier Byrne, Rob Kirwin and Ariel Richhold. Um, those are the yeah. four producers. And the reason why I point out all of those producers is because I don't fucking get any of the production decisions that they made on any of the we, fucking yep. tracks. Mm-hmm. Every single production outside of one track, outside of one fucking track. I wonder if it's going to be the same track. It might be. Uh, out of, But every other production decision that they made yeah. is just the wrong one. Uh, so, so real quick aside, we only vaguely talked ahead of time about this album. Literally all we knew before 
recording right mm-hmm. now about each other's opinions is that neither of us particularly liked the album. Right. I I knew I'm more indifferent. Josh feels personally slighted because of how much he loves that first album. I sent you um the Godfather gif uh, or uh <sighs> on facebook messenger of look at how they massacred my boy exactly (laughs) because i love the first album so much it is a very shameless pop album that is very blues roots gospel soul right infused but it's very gritty it's very it has a live feel i really like his voice i really like his guitar work throughout his entire debut album yeah take me to church is a fine fine enough it it had its moment I in the really, sun. I really enjoy Take Me to Church. I think that maybe it like went a little too overboard in terms right. of you know its reception. Um, not it went overboard. I I, I feel like maybe it was, it was over overhyped a little overpraised. Right. But it, I really I thoroughly enjoy that song. Um, and I watched his Tiny Desk concert. Mm. I think right after he released that album, he did one. Most likely, and, yeah. Uh, and that was super good. Right. I have a friend who we'll get into it. I have a friend who saw him live after Wasteland Baby, and she was like, "It's like, it's very different live." I can imagine. I'm sure it is, but we're not talking <laughs> we're about not talking live. About we're that. talking about the fucking album. Yeah. Um, so okay, so some more background before we continue to rip it a new one. Um, <laughs> He, it was written over the course of 18 months. Uh, he took a hiatus after he um, got done touring his original album because he just felt burnt out because he went from being kind of a right. not, not yeah, anyone no, when, to when, the, the world's biggest like When uh, Take Me to Church came, up, yeah. came out, it was like, how, how the fuck do you pronounce this? Right. How, you know, like, how who, fuck, who is this guy? Yeah. And then um, how big of a venue can we book him in? You know, the, right. that was the thing. So um, after, yeah, extensive touring, he took a year-long hiatus, started to write the album. Uh, he wrote it during a time um, that was full of extreme anxieties for him, mm-hmm. as it was for all of us. Uh, just kind of about the state of the world, specifically for him, he mentioned Brexit. Mm-hmm. That happened. Uh, the Doomsday Clock, which is the uh, clock that counts down to when climate disaster is unavoidable. Right. When that moved ahead two seconds uh, back in 2018, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, the extreme rise of neo-nationalism across the globe. Right. You know, et cetera, I mean, Brexit et was... I yeah, mean, exactly. That was part of Brexit. Yeah. So all of, all, all of 2018 basically was a the bedrock of why he started writing the album and in the um place he was writing out of um he tried to mesh uh, as in his words cultural and moral wastelands with hope and warmth interesting um that's what that's what he said he was trying to do with the album and some of the uh, lyrical ideas of it um he said that the feeling of despair comes naturally to him as part of the cultural identity of being Irish. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I got to <laughs> stop. I got to stop being sarcastic. <laughs> no. And, and which makes sense because, you know, the Irish potato famine of, I believe, 1850, somewhere around know. there. But just that decimated the entire culture that they are just now recovering from the extreme reach of the crown, mm-hmm. the fight, the troubles between Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, like all of it makes sense that like just feeling despair and feeling like the world is crumbling around you and nothing good is ever going to happen to you makes sense that if you're Irish, you're 
you're born into it a little bit more than right. than some other nationalities are. Um, obviously, he's a he's a big fan of blues, folk, gospel, R and B. Uh, heavy references to a lot of his uh, musical heroes and people that he would listen to growing up, which are kind of 50s, 60s artists and and earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, uh, Marvin Staples, who Mavis, yeah, sorry, I said that wrong the first time. Also, Mavis Staples um, heavily influenced the concept of the album, also because Nina Cried Power was the first uh, song that he worked on. Mm-hmm. And she featured, and she helped him kind of conceptualize a lot of the ideas and why it's so R and B infused. Okay, I I've been I so like I said I've been super busy. I haven't been able to right. prepare for this episode nearly as much as I wanted to. I did a little bit of research right. on this song specifically um, because it it struck me a little bit like hey. I'm going to start out with this song to justify the fact that the rest of this album is me ripping off gospel music. Yeah. Um, with the understanding that, like, you know, if if Mavis Staples had much more of a hand in in do, in writing that song mm-hmm. overall, that makes a lot more sense. Um, her feature is great. Her voice is incredible. Oh yeah, she uh, fantastic. We'll get into it later, but yeah, she also um, was one of his childhood. Like, if I ever get to work with her, that's like a, a check mark on like the the bucket the musical bucket list. So mm-hmm. very influenced by by her and all of her work as both an R and B artist and a civil rights activist. Right. So Nina Cries Power makes sense as their collaboration song. Right. It seems. It- it seems weird, but we'll we'll get to it. This this is yeah. the thing. It feels like it should be a Mavis Staples song featuring Hosier instead of the first track on Wasteland Baby. Yes, I agree. I understand the commercial reasons for doing it though. Oh yeah, of, for sure. Because uh, Nina Cried Power was also um, the EP that came before the album. It mm-hmm. was titled Nina Cried Power, so that was the single off of it. So obviously they're trying to be like, hey, this is the first music from the guy who wrote Take Me to Church. Um, you know that one song that you don't know if it's about fucking or about how the church hates gays? Um, which, surprise, surprise, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Um, yeah, obviously my takeaways are I feel I feel done dirty by this album. Um mm-hmm. I didn't know that I would have this visceral of a hatred, a vile hatred towards this album until um, me and my partner, we were visiting the Oregon City, Milwaukee, kind of southeast, southern uh, Portland metro area for a bit. And we were listening to the album and both of us were like, because we both like his first album and we're like, this is they made some weird choices and it's it's just a little too produced and it's a little too clean, but whatever. And then on the drive back, we put on his debut album and every, every track into his debut album we got, I just got more and more, more frustrated, frustrated but, yeah. and angry and bitter about every single production choice mm-hmm. that was made. Um, and when we get into the tracks, we'll get into it, but there's uh, one specific song that they chose to sample an instrument. And I'm just like, why the fuck did you sample this? What the hell we'll get, was your we'll choice? Get into it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, as you can, I'll, I'll, I'm showing Jared for, for those at home. Um, as you can tell, there's a lot of 
capitalization and exclamation wow. points. There, oh, and... there is a lot of capitalization. I have only some capitalization. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. So yeah. Um. Tell me your basic thoughts so I can gather uh, myself right. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Ga- gather yourself. Um. <laughs> I'm gonna have to keep my eye on on your uh, on your preamp. Because, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I I, I noticed uh, I, you've been riding that a little bit. I'll I'll try to rein it up. Um, no, you just gotta do what I do on stage, and when you start getting loud, you just gotta yep 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 yep. No, see, yep, I have yep, the yep, 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 yep. my my overall thoughts are that this album is pretty bland like it's very meh to me that's my overall reaction to it there are some high points i do i do have stars i have right i have three song four songs i have four songs with stars next to them those stars are not i just don't think the album's very good overall yeah no for sure um i highlighted three songs as the the good songs on the album not saying that also, they also for context there are 14 fucking tracks on this album yeah this is, but it, and 10 of the uh, sorry nine of them sound exactly the same and five of them also sound exactly the same but different but uh, uh, different enough for you to be like oh i should talk about that right um yeah no um i just why are there so many organs like, why is the organ the main instrument in this album? Like, I don't so understand it. That that's part part of, part of why this album is so met is that so many of the songs sound the same, and part of why so many of the songs sound the same is that despite the fact that there are four different producers working on it, the same production methods and the same instrumentation are used over and over and over again. Right. Every song is like a full like gospel rooted choral stuff going on in the background organ uh and then lots of delay and reverb on his vocals mm-hmm. and very compressed sounding on top of that um and then these big like over the top produced drums in yes. my opinion yes um and it makes it it all sounds the same from song to song. Every chorus sounds the same and a huge emphasis on the downbeat on a lot of them. Like there are a lot of songs that it's like this, this has like one interesting concept in it and it's usually during the verses and then it gets to a chorus and it's just, here is the pop chorus that is the same on 10 of the tracks on this. And I think that is my main issue with it is that it leans so heavily into being pop music Whereas, um, and I'm, I'm basing this off of his last album, which it, you know, it was all pop music, but right. it was like, Hey, here's some like pretty dirty bluesy riffs. Here's distorted guitar. Here's organ being used a little more, uh, judiciously, um, in, in places that makes a bit more sense. It still had all of those elements there. Right. They just turned the, but we're now we're making a pop album just up to 11 right. in, in my opinion. And it just loses anything that was interesting or good about um mm-hmm. the album in my opinion i i think his voice still carries i think he i i like his voice i i i have one thing about his voice okay his voice and especially on a lot of the tracks on this album um if you listen to sam smith yeah sp- sam smith's lower register mm. is hosier's voice 
you're not wrong um and there, like there are a few songs where i'm like i really fucking like his voice here he's stretching outside of what i think of as hosier's voice, right which is which is very refreshing um but yeah for the most part it's like hosier sounds like hosier mm-hmm. um and hosier sounds like sam smith's low register <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, he definitely has his range, and his range fits into certain songs, and it gives him a very distinct vocal quality uh, for most of his songs, which is fine, but then you can't just rely on that to be the only interesting thing that happens during the... uh, during the songs. So to give the producers some credit, because I did spend about 30 minutes yelling at them and, and telling them that they're horrible at their job. Uh, the one production choice that they made that isn't just like, hey, let's record everything straight up that I really liked was Wasteland Baby. The choice to um, add a Leslie or Rotary style yeah, speaker, rotary speaker. Eff- effect I don't to know. it. Uh, it sounds really natural to me. Like, it, I think that it actually is like a physical rotary speaker. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that is fant- that, That's a fantastic choice. Yeah. I think that that's one of the better songs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely one of the better songs on the on the album for sure. Um, and also the fact that they have the acoustic and electric guitar following each other throughout the entire right. track and then sometimes the electric or the acoustic goes off to do a little flourish bit mm-hmm. in it as well but it's the most it's one of the more um re- reminding me of his original album what i liked which was his voice and his guitar work and his finger picking in concert with each other right i i have that song starred i think that it's one of the better songs on the album I think I love the production choice of having the the rotary speaker going on his voice. Um, I'm trying to think of another example of a time I've heard that. I can't I can't put a finger on it. I'm sure that I've heard it before, right. but it's not a very common thing at all to do. No, it, it, it's not a common production choice, which is nice to see on this album because al- almost every other production choice that they make is very by the books, by the number. Like this is what you do. For all of these different things. Um, right. I wanted to point out one other thing in this song that I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, go for um, it. There's this, I think it might be synth. It could be like an organ with a with a delay mm. or some, it, it almost sounds like an arpeggiator, but it could be uh, an analog, right? Uh, a, a more analog instrument. Um, but there's this thing going on in the background of this song. I think that this song's just really, like, really well produced and really well layered. And the guitar tones are great, but there's... Yeah, I, I noted that as well, that, um, the, like, it's very subtle. I wrote it down it's as, subtle. as synth. I think it's probably a synth, but it could be a, a Wurlitzer, a, a Moog, an old school analog. Right. You, you plug a chord into another part of the... Um, right, I'm board. not... I can't quite put my finger on what it is, and I really like that about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... I think that it's one of the better uh, produced songs on the album because it's it feels very intimate. It feels like a love letter. Mm-hmm. It's got the warmth that I'm sure he was going for, right? While still being like, 
hey, it's Wasteland, baby, you know? Right. I, um, I feel like they hit the nail on the head with that one song specifically. Yes. Um, the fact that they double track his voice as well, I think it's a good I it's a good use of double tracking mm-hmm. for it because it just adds to, I think this song, um, if you look at the cover art of this album, it is him in a... Um, in a pool. In a pool, but it's, it's a living room, which that that was actually done live. Yeah. Um, his, his mom did the um, production and the shooting of that and uh he as you know being irish was just like yeah well imagine how many albums we'd sell if it came out that i died on set because my (laughs) mom drowned me while trying to take the album art right (laughs) um but yeah so Um, i i believe it's also a reference to a specific lyric in the album i can't remember where which song it's in but there's some there's there's a lyric in the album where he's talking about um being in a body of water and looking up at something or someone that sounds right yeah i can't i can't place it either i I didn't get to do the research i wanted to to you know i I didn't even get to look up the lyrics because i don't have wi-fi in my house (laughs) um so the um lyrics that i pulled um from this song specifically that i thought were interesting Mm -hmm. were and the day that we'll watch the death of the sun that the cloud and the cold of those jeans you have on then will gaze unafraid as they sob from the city roofs so kind of talking about the undeniable unflinching future that we have of right climate change um but also the idea there's kind of like a double meaning that i took out of it leech which is also kind of a a toxic relationship that you just can't get yourself out of Mm -hmm. um because he loves talking about relationships in all of his music right um but yeah and also the last verse slows down um the entire thing and just comes straight back to um i think it's just him and um acoustic or it's a acoustic and electric but everything else falls away because there's been a, a subtle bass going through the um song as well towards the later half right. of it as well Very which subtle. also overall the bass has no business being as like trying to try to make something happen in every single track as it does oh the, yeah for me the bass is the sound standout instrument on on the entire for sure album. there are a lot of points where i have written down bass has no business going this hard yeah um, uh what do you got as a as another song that you think is worth talking about so i think that like hands down best song on the album is no plan um really I, yeah i think it's a certified bop i okay. wouldn't say it's a certified banger but i think it it's is a, a certified it's a bop, bop not a banger yeah um, um okay there's uh, and and this is also something that like actually we'll come back to that <laughs> no worries yeah okay so no plan um, I fucking hate this song. They sample Queen electric guitar that bounces back and forth for no fucking reason. Like I love, I love the distorted electric on that, but it just feels like every single a guitar element is sampled on this entire song and i just don't understand and again as someone coming from his first album which nothing feels sampled really outside of take me to church Mm -hmm. i just don't understand the need to be like yes okay so play this very quick lick on this clean electric guitar okay cool we got the the cut we'll just throw it in throughout the right well okay here's here's where i'm at is that uh, listening to this album, it becomes very clear that, uh, like, 
the the term I kept writing down was uh, department store bop. Okay, where it's yeah. like the majority of this album, I'm like, I could hear this while walking through a Ross. I could I, hear this while walking through Goodwill. I, I think you mean the only uh, playlist on Spotify that matters, CBS Bangers, one plus two plus three. Right. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> and... When and and this is something that I learned when I was working at Macy's when I when I really learned what department store bops were. <laughs> um, I, I I would work uh, in the mornings and we weren't allowed to turn off. The, I would be there before the store opens. We weren't allowed to have the uh, the overhead music turned off while right. we were working. It had to be on, and so I was forced to listen to this music because I worked by myself, <laughs> and so I got by by focus finding because every song has at least one good element in it right there's there's at least one thing that makes it worth not listening to but at least that you can focus on and be like this is sick it could be a bass line it could be Mm -hmm. a single lyric in a in a song in a verse whatever um and if you expand that out to this album overall is very samey and very boring and just feels like a lot of contemporary pop that is just meant to get airplay right um this song while still being in the same realm of production as the rest of it is musically more interesting i think that the chorus is really fun i like the um i like the movement through the chorus uh of the of the melody um i i like the sampled guitar i'm not gonna lie i just don't would I prefer it to be, a, you know, not sampled? Yeah. But, like, I think it sounds... It works for the song, though. I I see what you're saying. I just, I just fully disagree in, like, what I'm looking for from... Maybe it's that I'm looking for a Hosier song, and he, prov- he provided a department store bop. Right. Um, which is... I see what you're saying. I think the only thing that saves this song is the bass line. The, the bass slaps too. The bassist tried so hard to save just, this song. It's a driving song. Like it's it's the kind of thing that like I'm listening to it and I'm just picturing like driving down the coast at sunset. You know what I mean? Well, okay, that's a little too romantic for what this song <laughs> deserves. But I see what you're saying. Brutal. I just I nothing about this song captures what I think is good about Hosier as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um. Like I think this is the antithesis of of everything good. Right. When when his songs are good, nothing that is in this song outside of the t- base of the the tone of the bass guitar and the tone of the dirty electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Outside of those two things, nothing else in this song reflects the good parts of him as an artist. Uh, it it really doesn't need to be him. It doesn't feel like it was written for him. It seems like he's singing a song that was written for him, but it wasn't because he was the main writer on almost every single song. And I want to I wanna say something that I felt while listening to this album and taking notes um, is that it seemed like there are a lot of songs that I feel like there are earlier versions of, like before he was in the studio. I feel mm. like there's an earlier version of this song that works better. I feel like a lot of the songs yeah. on this album are taken down by the production, are taken down by the choice of using the same elements over and over again for 14 fucking tracks. Yeah, because you said you had a friend who saw him live after this album released, and they, mm-hmm. they said it was completely different. Like, is that kind of 
the vibe you got from them or um a, a little bit um i i feel like i'm uh, uh, like i feel like there were decisions made where it was like he i'm trying to think of a uh i have written somewhere that shot really hit me hard uh <laughs> to noise making give me a second oh fucking hell um yeah no we can go we can go there next as you're getting that ready um the first note that I wrote down is this is fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, I'm not at all saying that I enjoy this song, um, but I'm saying that. I think that there is an earlier version of this song. Uh huh. Before all of the bullshit pop production came right. into play, I feel like there is a version of this song that is more musically interesting, and that in in the studio, they were like, we need this to have a broader appeal than what you're going for. Right. It feels very... <sighs> I think this is where being influenced by your idols can go bad. Because mm-hmm. this feels very... I did a song with Mavis Staples, who's an R&B legend. So therefore, I'm going to try to get some more R&B into my album. Mm-hmm. And he's not an R&B artist. He's just not... And it's like gospel-y R&B, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, this song, remember last episode when we were talking about uh, When You Are Who You Are from by Gil Scott Heron and how yeah. like the lyrics were like slightly problematic, but we're going to give them a, a, a bit, pass because yeah. it's from 1971. Right. This, this is a song that's from 2019 and has the same sort of problematic lyrics that I'm not going to let slide. Right. At, in, in the same way where she's like, dude, you, this, I see what you're going for, but this is not okay. <laughs> this is not okay at all. Like the entire song, like the, the pre-chorus is at like... If you sing, at best, the world's gonna uh, understand you, and at worst, uh, at least they'll sing along. So just sing. And it's like, oh, dude, that's... I don't know. I, I, that struck, and, and like, I'm not like defending that. I don't think this is a good song, but (laughs) I, I, those lyrics struck me more as, uh, him reassuring himself. You know, I feel like this song was meant to be a letter to himself to be like, hey, don't give up. Don't like don't let the uh, the state of the world and the uncertainty of the future overwhelm you and stop you from doing what you what you are supposed to do. Right. And I can understand that. But the use of baby in every single song that is either about well, a yeah, song to that's himself or <laughs> that's because he's a sex icon. Like <laughs> he can't, he can write a letter to himself, but then, you know, he has to be like, oh, I got to make this like, you know, a letter to somebody else so that people like want to fuck me or whatever. Yeah. Or fuck to it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Um, um yeah. I want, I want to stick to highlights though. Cause I still got a couple highlights. Yes. Go, go with some highlights. Please. Um, let me pull it up real quick. Um, as it was, is the next song I have starred and it's really the first song to get away from the, uh, homogenous pop production of the rest of the album up to that point. Oh yeah. Um, I wrote down less production equals the better. It's, it's an acoustic ballad. It's very minor. It's very dark. It's very reminiscent of what was good about what he did on his first album. 
Um, a little overproduction with the uh, strings, but I think the strings make sense in what he's going for. I think the strings work for. really well. Um, it's it's a it's an obvious choice, but in a album full of obvious choices, um, <laughs> it is the most appropriate obvious choice. I think on a, on a production right. um, level, um, I think it does add. Unlike sometimes when people throw strings in, it doesn't really add. I think we talked about that on mm-hmm. um, the uh, kills blood pressures. How you felt like yeah. the strings being added into um. Alison Mosshart's uh, ball- piano ballad would didn't really add anything. Uh, the last goodbye, last goodbye. Yeah, you didn't think that added anything. I think this is a good example I, of throwing I, not on. Not that it didn't add anything. It was just that uh, that song, and you know, we did this last week, so right, I'm not gonna yeah. go too far into but it. I, but I, but I'm, I'm that saying, added to what both what polarized me about that song. Right, and I'm saying that I think this is a, a better implementation. Right. Of strings within a a song than right. you s- came across as uh, <laughs> last time. Um, I really like the timbre of his voice in this song. Mm. Um, this is one of the songs where I'm thinking about like he, this is him outside of where you normally think of Hosier, right? Um, and I like I just I like it when vocalists like move around within their within their voice when they don't have right. one voice that they use for every song um and you you get to hear the variety over the course of an album of you know how they can sing softly how they can sing powerfully how they can sing what their highs sound like what their lows sound like and this is him um this is also where the reverb on his voice actually fucking works for once uh, it also yes. doesn't sound super compressed and it it it's very i really the like whole, the production on this song. the whole song feels like it breathes for yeah the f- it feels way more natural but also this is the first song in the entire album that feels like it breathes and we're in the back half of the album <laughs> right um what else do you have as a uh highlight for um, you because i have two more i put a i put a tentative star on dinner and diatribes uh, dinner and diatribes if it stopped halfway through would have a star for me if it stopped halfway through if it stopped halfway through um when it it starts getting overproduced for me like the the original riff is fantastic the first co- the verse feels very classic like oh yeah we're doing hosier here we go let's do it, is it like this is great this is just like it's dancey but it's still very bluesy uh, yeah, it's it, got it, it hits you where it needs to. Let's see what my notes are. Uh, the song works pretty well. I actually like it. So, uh, you know what? <laughs> I have to like refer to my notes to remember how I actually felt about it. But uh, this was a song that I started playing it, and the longer it went on, the more I was like, you know what? I actually fucking dig this. It still got mm-hmm. some of the things that I don't like about previous tracks, um, but the only reason that it would detract the only reason that it detracts from this song specifically is because of how much it was used previously right um in the album uh but i i don't know i like this one i i would not like i'm gonna add it to any of my playlists anytime soon right. honestly no plan is the only song that i could hear myself listening to again after this okay um while i think that a couple of the like acoustic ballad type more songs are uh uh are good i don't that's i I couldn't get an emotional connection out of it because the rest of the album is just so boring to me (laughs) right um 
I'm not going to take the time to establish that emotional. Uh... I, I think for me, Dinner and Diatribes is like, what if his debut album, but worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think I'm a little less hot on it. Um, I also think the extreme amount of vocal delay in the second half of the song just it doesn't hit for me. I think it works great. I it does it just doesn't work for me. It just it feels like it's just trying too much. It's too many layers, mm-hmm. which I think is an issue for this entire album. Which is like you just layered on too many things. You had too many ideas, right? And no one told any of you no. Well, so like the the vocals, the vocals specifically, it's got that delay and reverb going on that the rest of the album mm-hmm. had um, up to that point for the most part, and uh, I really don't like that on. A lot of the other songs on this album right i think that it's too much i think that it feels more uh compressed than it should it feels really uh instead of making it feel spacious it makes it feel very tight and confined mm-hmm. um and on this track it works for me on this specific track okay and i feel sure. like i i feel like it gets pulled down because of the overusage on the rest of it Right. If you just heard this song, you might yeah. like it a bit more than Right. Like I feel like if he released that song as a single or was part of an EP ahead of the release of this right. album, you might have a different opinion of it. Who just knows? Saying. Just saying, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um I think the clapping also was just like so unneeded. A little on this over song. The top, it was yeah. it was it was a little <laughs> I'll much. give you that one. <laughs> um any other highlights for you? I got two that's, more. That's all my highlights. Okay. Um I really like Shrike. Which is another one of the more slow ballady um, songs. I think this is the best example of production and the song meshing together outside of Wasteland Baby because Wasteland Baby is just so sparse. I don't really think that counts, but what they were going for for the whole album, mm-hmm. I think, of like, oh, here's this produced kind of poppy but still holding tight what everyone liked about your original album um Mm -hmm. i think so far in the album when it hits it's the best showcase of his guitar ability um which i that's why i first really fell in love with him as like yes you're a pop artist yes you're you're pulling from all these things but man your finger picking and your guitar tones and and technique just hits me Mm -hmm. in a way that it if it wasn't for that, maybe I wouldn't care. But it, it just works for me. And I think this is a, a song that would also feel very natural on mm-hmm. his first album. Um I uh it's got it's got Boney Vare vibes for me for starters. Yes, that's fair. Um and my my main issue with this song is that we just had an acoustic ballad right before that, as it was. Yeah, track listing on it's pretty bad. And I liked that one. And so why are these right next to each other, you know? Uh, you're going to end up liking one more than the other, I feel like. Yeah, no. Well, because you're hitting the emotional middle part of the album. Of this 14 fucking track album? So many bad production choices. <laughs> Um, and then the other one that I just wanted to highlight um, was Sunlight. I really liked Sunlight. Really? Yeah. I fucking hate Sunlight. I think it's the best use of organ in the entire album. 
Um, uh, I think that might be the reason why I like it so much. Also, I love the fact that you can fucking hear the guitar move up and down the fretboard. It's finally an instrument that doesn't feel compressed and chopped to hell. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that it's one of the better produced songs, and it's one of the better um, kind of for you for no plan, where it's like it feels poppy. It it feels right. written for the radio, but it's but it, it works. Ha- it, but it works. Um, which you know, this entire album is basically you could just throw a dart at the entire track list, and then you hit one of them. And it's like, oh yeah, it's it's written for the radio, but it's yeah. I don't know. I uh, this one just didn't work for me. There was. Uh, what did I write for it? Um, I just said same shit, different song. Uh, the chords sound good. And this is one that I specifically wrote. There's an early version of this somewhere. There's a demo version of it, or there's him plucking it out on an acoustic in his bedroom somewhere. Right. That works so much better emotionally to me than this version does. I would love to hear the four track recorder version of the demos of this, of this album. And I'm not saying that that actually exists. Of course I'm saying hypothetically in my brain, I can picture an early version before all of the overproduction hit. Mm -hmm. And it's so much more emotionally impactful. If he had the same production, um, like availability to him as his first album mm-hmm. you know like i think the the main thing where this album falls so short is that he had just too much time and too much money right in, in studio um yeah so i mean that's obviously we had our opinions are very uh well known but let's see what people uh, when this album came out thought of this album do you want to go with the middling review the uh most positive review or the most critical review first uh let's let's go positive to critical all right the most positive review came from consequence of sound and doing a new thing where we credit the writer of the review because just because someone wrote a review for a right. place doesn't one, one mean, person yeah. doesn't make yeah. doesn't a whole conglomerate make um so yeah so for consequence of sound um this was written by michael pimental uh he gave it a b plus he said, while the recording isn't overflowing with technical innovations, Wasteland Baby still provide, proves to be a splendid collection of music that will inspire one to smile and dance. Okay. I don't know so much about the smile part, but I can see the but dance I can, part. Yeah, I can dance. Um, Definitely so th- with a frown on my face, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, the most medium um, mixed review um, came from Rolling Stones. Um, I was not able to actually access the review because uh, Rolling Stone requires you to pay a subscription, so I wasn't able to properly source this. So this is just right. the poll quote I was able to get through Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but it was three stars out of five. Um, and that it was saying that this album has enough encouraging displays of maturation to feel like a transitional moment for Hosier. At its best, the album carves out a space for the singer to work out his creative tensions as he finds new ways to make his straight folk influences more accessible without losing anything along the way. Which I think is a very fair... Yeah, that's... uh... Yeah, I think that's like an overall positive. It was three out of five, you said? Yeah, three out of five. Yeah, that sounds sounds like a three out of five review. Yeah, it's a very... Listen, second albums are always hard. You're still figuring this out. Right. You're... He's only like 28, 29. He's about our age. Right. So he's still figuring it out. Like, you got time. Don't worry about it. Album um, review. Right. The most critical came from Pitchfork. Uh, Naturally. S- yeah. <laughs> Sad Samonsky. Oh, sorry. Sam Samonsky gave it a 4.8 out of 10. Woo. Uh, 
the man who took meatball. us to church tries to take us to the same church again. Ooh. 14 times. <laughs> six years later. Shot. Fired. It I wants it. badly to sound timeless, but it already feels like a moment that's passed. Brutal. Without meaning or direction, it might, given a voice, sound something like this. Um, I will. So, so what was that? It's supposed to sound timeless, but what? It's it wants badly to sound timeless, but it already feels like a moment that's passed. That is that I wholeheartedly agree with mm-hmm. because a lot of this album sounds like uh, early two thousands alt pop. Yes, it sounds like what people refer to it. It's like Lumineers and like uh, a little bit Mumford and Sons. It sounds like twenty tens mm-hmm. uh, in indie like folk pop stuff. Yeah, Mumford and Sons already made this transition from a indie folk pop band into a alt rock band by like twenty seventeen. Right, and this like, this album came out in twenty nineteen. Yeah, like it's just late to the party. It just. It just went for something that didn't hit, and I think both of us follow a little bit more with Sam's right review. Than fuck anyways. Sam's score. Let's give it the yeah, only score that but, fucking matters. But the four point eight from Pitchfork doesn't fucking matter because the only thing that matters is the score we give it on the list, and the list currently says that uh, we're rating this out of six. Uh, so we're out of six, out of six, no, out, no, of, out five. of five. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's all right. So we're rating this out of five. We're going one to five. We are not allowed to give it a zero, no matter how much we dislike it. Okay. I will go first. Let's get to one out of five for me. I dislike every single production choice. I think there are two or three songs that are good. Mm-hmm. Not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I agree with you a lot that the demo versions of a majority of these songs probably are I would have liked better. I really hope that he takes a lot of good lessons from this album mm-hmm. um, and is able to mesh it better with the things that made his first album a uh, smash hit. Um, I wouldn't want to give it like the lowest score we potentially could, um, except that uh, two out of five feels too close to Midland. Yeah, that's a that's a 40%. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I'm going with a one out of five just because, yeah, I, I, cause it's not a two out of five. It's not, a, I'm going with one out of five cause it's not a two out of five. God damn. That's true. All right. So putting it at one, uh, giving it a one out of five, uh, on our list as we reference it, uh, currently it goes from, uh, best album to worst album ever created. Mm. Um, objectively is pieces of a man. By Gil Scott Heron, mm-hmm. uh, Boarding House Reach by Jack White, Blood Pressures by The Kills, and then 10 by Pearl Jam. With a 1 out of 5, Wasteland Baby by Hosier falls oh underneath 10 by Pearl Jam. I'm, I'd bump it up. I'm, I'm, I want to bump. No, I, I want to keep it below. You want to keep it below? I'm going to try to convince you on why I think uh, Wasteland Baby by Hosier is worse than 10 Please by Pearl me. Jam. I think 10 by Pearl Jam, while it is very derivative and very one note, that one note is way better than the one note that Wasteland Baby is at for its entire time. We don't have issues with the production of 10 um, outside of the fact that it could just rock a little bit harder. They toned it down a little bit more. Eddie Vedder's songwriting is about on par 
with Hosier's songwriting, the lyricism of it at least. Both of them have very distinct voices. Hosier's voice is probably better objectively, but they both are trying to get emotion out of their voice where their lyrics don't have the emotion, which is mm. one of the big things that we uh, harped on 10 for. Mm. And the instrumentation is more ambitious, better executed on 10 than it is on Wasteland Baby. So, okay, look, I would argue that uh, the lyrics of Wasteland Baby, while being not the most uh, emotionally engaging that they could be, are at the very least, um, like, uh not they're at the very least verbally interesting okay i think that they are well-written lyrics i don't think that it's well-written lyrical content if that makes sense yeah that makes sense um whereas 10 it's i don't think that this is nice to read and i don't think there's a lot of like like real emotion behind it that's like worth exploring okay um I have I do have issues with the production of 10 only because I feel like they're on same issue with Wasteland Baby that there are songs that could have been really good if they just made different production decisions. Yes. Uh that being said, there is one song on Wasteland Baby that I can picture myself putting on a playlist and there are zero from 10. How many songs from 10 are you going to be listening to in 6 months? Two. Two? Black and even flow. And how many songs from Wasteland Baby? <sighs> Maybe one. Brutal. Maybe Wasteland. I, well, I, mm, either Shrike or Wasteland Baby. But either way, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's like raining outside for like the third time during October and I have a cup of coffee. This fits the vibe and then I won't think about it again. I I legitimately wrote on these notes. I can't wait to finish talking about this album so I never have to think about it again. Damn. All right. Well, if I can't sell you on a bump, we don't bump. I, I just don't. I don't think waste. While I agree. 10 Wasteland Baby about the same. Uh-huh. I think the expectations of a follow-up album in the year 20 of our Lord, the year of, the year our, of our fucking Lord, 2000 zeros and 19 <laughs> of them. You, you, yeah, I, I just, right. I just. All right. It's, all right. It wasn't on the forefront no, actually, of a genre. No, putting, putting yeah. it that way, I will give you. That 10 was a debut album and Wasteland Baby was a follow-up album. Right. And that them being on the same level in terms of, like, what we would score them probably, how we would rank them. Right. You you should have more experience for your second album. You should know what you're more so what you're doing. Right. If we were ranking this, like, generally out of, like, 10 or 100 or whatever, like, they would rank about the same, which is, like... Not great for either of them, but, like, at least Pearl Jam was at least somewhat on the forefront of their genre, whereas Wasteland Baby is like, what if I, a a white Irish man, did R&B and folk and blues and gospel, mm-hmm. but badly, and as a pop album? Whew. Well, I guess we have our ranking. <laughs> yeah, so, so our new ranking has uh, Wasteland Baby... Uh, 
the fifth best I album thought, of all time. I thought 10 was going to stay on the bottom for like two more weeks at the least. No, I, I also thought that. And then I listened to this album and then I was like, oh, wait, maybe I need to rethink that. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to talk about uh, Destroyer's album, Destroyer's Rubies. All right, and welcome back from that break. Uh, Jared and I both took a, well, mostly me. I took a little breather, calmed down after uh, just being disappointed you, you and need, angry. You needed to expel some of that uh, pure rage. Yeah, God, I'm very excited to never talk about that album ever again in any way, shape, or form. I want to know how long it's going to sit at the bottom. Like, I, I please, anybody... Our, tw- our we're in our, the twenties of listens. Yeah, the tw- the twenties of people who have listened th- at maybe into the thirties at this point. Who knows? Well, you at least twenty people who have listened. Please make a suggestion of an album that will that will bump uh, Wasteland Baby up a spot. I would love to know what album eventually is worse than that one. But an album we're going to talk about next that may or may not fall into that uh, category, we'll talk about it, is Destroyer's Rubies by the band, question mark, solo act, question mark? You know, so this is one of those things I wish I had more time to prepare because I, so I'm a Destroyer fan. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Destroyer is the solo project of Dan Behar or if it's a different band band that dan Dan behar is in i have an answer for you so destroyer is the solo project of dan behar but there are some consistent characters that make up the backing band yeah from for destroyer so it's one of those things where it's like it's mostly dan behar he writes all the songs it's mostly his ideas but specifically on destroyer's rubies it's very collaborative between multiple people. Right. But it, it encompasses See, that's a, there are all other of that Destroyer stuff. albums. Like, if you listen to Your Blues, there's no way you could listen to this and be like, Destroyer is a band. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, so Destroyer's Rubies was the seventh studio album released by Destroyer. Uh, it was released February 21st, 2006. Uh, it encompasses Dan Behar, who we've already references, uh, on vocals and guitar. That includes acoustic and electric, uh, mostly rhythm electric. Mm. Um, Ted Boys um, on keys, piano, Wurlitzer, and organ. Uh, Nicholas Bragg on guitar, and that is uh, electric guitar, some acoustic. Um, Tim Lowen is on uh, bass, does some electric guitar as well, mm. uh, and he's the backing vocals. That you hear on the album. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, Scott Morgan did the drums and also the saxophone. Wow. Yeah. Um, Fisher Rose did trumpet and vibraphone, and then John Collins uh, contributed by doing vibraphone as well. So it's a pretty tight knit in comparison to the last album uh, group. Right. Um, a, yeah. much, a much smaller list to go through. Much smaller list to go through. Yeah, so as I said earlier, every single song is written by Dan Behar, and it's considered his solo project, because Dan Behar was, slash is, uh, part of a Canadian rock icon group, uh, the New Pornographers. Yeah, uh, who I've... 
this is embarrassing because I like I do consider myself a Destroyer fan. I love Dan Behar. I've never listened to the new pornographers <laughs> at all. Um, well, the the reason you probably know of Dan Behar is because he has worked with one of your other, at least what I consider one of your like cornerstones of what is good music, uh, Spencer Krug, who is of. Um, Moonface fame oh, and yeah so we he's collaborated with spencer krug before because spencer krug's moon face and uh what moon else was face wolf parade, wolf parade and uh sunset rubdown yeah which is all kind of in that like west canada bc canada mm. um area of of those musicians he actually in a few of the interviews that i found dan behar talked about what it was like being a artist who grew up in the Pacific Northwest and why that's completely different and why the scene in the Pacific Northwest, which we technically live uh, yeah, within we're sort of a part of not we're, we're, we are a part of the Pacific Northwest of the U S right. But Salem is pretty South within the aspect of mu- the music scene of the Pacific Northwest, but uh, it was actually a decently interesting interview um, that I think it was a pitchfork one that was happening uh, about the time the album came out mm-hmm. um, or it was a retrospective because pitchfork did two interviews with him that I found. I can't remember which one this antidote comes from, but he was talking about how from the Pacific Northwest, the idea of making a living out of music outside of being able to pay your rent and then afford your next album. It's just like weird. Yeah. And you're not considered a true artist. If you then move to LA or New York to then make it big, because if you're music, if you're a musician in the Pacific Northwest, it's so isolated, but also so musically and culturally diverse and rich and, um, influential in mm-hmm. those ways. If you're moving to LA or New York to pursue a musical career, it's perceived within kind of the um, at least circles that Dan Behar um, is a part of. It's seen as more of a you're moving those areas so that way you can have opportunity and things other than music to make it big. Because if you want to make it big in music, you can just stay in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> and you can still make it big because Seattle and Portland are such uh, cultural hubs with, right. within music. So he, he's one of those people who's like, yeah, I moved to New York and I'm kind of a sellout artist, but it's fine. <laughs> um, go on. Uh, yeah. You have more information. Um, Destroy. One of the interesting things about Destroyer, which Dan Behar is very specific about, is that every single album he starts from scratch uh, on the music musical concept of each album. Mm-hmm. He refuses to allow what he did before to influence what he's doing currently. So every single time he strips it down to the bare bones, that's why we're somewhat confused about who can, who constitutes the band. Right. There's so many um, fluctuating band members because every single time Dan Behar is like, okay, I'm going to write new music. What do I want that to look like? What is it going to look like? What's the next steps? And that's why, um, as you referenced some of his earlier work, which just him on a, on an acoustic sounds very different than uh, Destroyer's Rubies, right. which sounds very different than the stuff that he released later, like Ken, which was another one of his big uh, commercial successes, which is very synth heavy and, and, and stuff like right. that. It's drastically different. Um, yeah. I real quick. One of the reasons that I love Destroyer, uh, he released an album that basically has no percussion. There's one song that has clapping in it. 
Right. And other than that, it's, yeah, just, like, acoustic and, uh, like, synthetic uh, horns and, and just the entire focus is on his voice and his lyrics. And his lyrics are what I fucking love about Destroyer. Right. Um, Tell me more about his lyrics because he, again, is falling within that kind of Spencer Krug little bit of spoon but uh, yeah in that I, kind of indie rock indie pop space so, where the focus is very complex contextual lyrics that you kind of got to listen to and, and understand the allegory and the references that they're making yeah um spencer krug specifically because spencer krug is my all-time favorite lyricist oh i gotta take a deep breath whenever i think about spencer krug um in much the same vein especially Moonface specifically um sunset rubdown a bit also less so in wolf parade um but spencer krug has a very sort of uh unique way of making his lyrics feel very stream of consciousness off the cuff while still being very meticulously decided ahead of time um it feels like you're watching a play where Mm. everything has been thoroughly rehearsed but it feels like it's unfolding in front of you and these are lyrics that are not your typical very antithetical to what hosier kind of his lyrical style is which Hosier's a little more, I'm going to tell you the things that are happening and the words are going to mean what the words mean because that's what I want my lyrics to mean. Whereas Spencer Crew, He's been Krug criticized is- a lot for using too much allegory, mm-hmm. too much imagery, and uh, hiding the me- message behind the lyrics too much. Right. I talk about Spencer Krug because... I think that Spencer Krug lyrics are easier to dive into and understand than Destroyer lyrics. Yeah, fair. fair, fair. <laughs> and, and like, to be fair, I uh, the songs that I know that we're going to talk about are more straightforward in terms of their, uh, their uh, overall meaning and like what he's going for in the songs. Uh, but lyrically, Destroyer is so interesting and so uh opaque to me right um and it's really engaging to me i wish i had uh, like i said previously i didn't have as much time to prepare for this episode as i wanted because Mm -hmm. i've been so fucking busy um and i wish i had time to actually go through the lyrics because i know there are a lot of really good gems in this album yeah and hopefully i i've done a good job of picking out some of the stuff that i thought was interesting or some of the references i thought were interesting but we'll get to that soon a little more background um this is the first album that he considered himself not um being a musician in destroyer Mm -hmm. uh, but he considered himself being a singer which for him meant not worrying as much about hitting every single note Mm. that he sings right um and he specifically said uh, that he misses an incredible amount of notes <laughs> it, it, while he sings. This album does have a very sort of lackadaisical uh, uh, spoken word almost delivery right. through the majority of the songs. Um, but he said that the band provided so much melody in all of the music that the the band and all of the musicians that he worked with written that 
he could kind of do whatever he wanted with the vocals and that's kind of the the mindset yeah. that he took in it was just like okay cool i'm not the musician here i'm the singer here mm-hmm. um which i think is a very interesting um mindset to take into your solo project yeah of like this is my solo project but i'm not the musician here i'm i'm just the singer here so the vocals can be whatever the vocals need to be um and he said that most of the work that he does on his solo work is instinctual it just kind of whatever he's feeling in the moment and what the band is feeling in the moment. Uh, specifically with this album, he mentioned that he really wishes they could have captured the side room um, demo tape, like demo mm-hmm. feels that they, they got like the, yeah, we were all playing in the side room of the kitchen. We were playing through the song and it had such a great feel. And then we had to go record it and it just lost its, its thing. Oh man. I wish I could get, uh, Oh, I wish um, I could hear those. Yeah, but that's what he means with, the, like, it's so instinctual. Where he's like, whatever feels right in the moment, that's what we're going for. And one, then once we have to, like, rehearse it and record it and put it down onto paper, it's just, like, it, it loses that little spark that he feels like is the true essence, especially in this album, mm-hmm. um, of what the work uh, needs to be. Um, he considered that this album, in a, a retrospective interview in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, he considered that this album was the height of... Uh, of his solo work of the lyrics dueling with the music. Interesting. Um, and that this album specifically was heavily influenced by Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, that style of folksy blues. Um, uh, very, you definitely feel that. Yeah, very, very folksy blues rants is kind of how he, he described it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of all I was able to find um, as it being a side project uh, for someone whose main project is a mostly Canadian band who moved from Vi- um, Vancouver, BC to New York, and you know, in 2006, not a whole lot of stuff was was available for me to find. Unfortunately, right. that it was happening in the time, um, a lot of a lot of retrospectives, but he didn't, you know. They didn't always bring up Destroyer's Rubies in, in those interviews, so I was like, ah, this is not as applicable as, as it needs to be. Um, right. So that's kind of most of the background that I was able to find. Uh, tell me about your takeaways, because you're the one who recommended this album for us. Yeah, so I picked this album because... Well, I put this album on my list uh, because it's one of the... If, if I remember right, for a long time, Painter in Your Pocket uh which is on this album was destroyer's most streamed song um on spotify um and i knew that song but had never listened to the full album before uh and that's kind of what i'm going for more with my list in general it's just stuff that i'm like i know i'm gonna like this once i listen to it so i need to listen to it i could also potentially hate it um and i was very not so not happily surprised, but I was I was happy to go through this album and feel like it holds its place in uh, the, the full discography of Destroyer and that right. it's definitely worth listening to. You're you're happy that your initial instincts based off of the songs you had heard were, were proven correct mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah, um, it's a it's a very nice experience. It takes you on a very good ride. I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it straddles the line for me, at least, of feeling experimental, which I think is part of the uh, more raw 
feeling and more instinctual feeling while still just kind of um sitting in a, a wonderful formulaic blend you know like it it, it gets yeah. a little formulaic sometimes but not in a bad way just in a way of like yeah this is the type of song you should write if this is the instrumentation you're going for right but you're doing it so right uh, masterfully there, at the time yeah. there's nothing there's nothing in this album that's like oh this is super experimental or this is very out there this is a very weird thing to do um but it uh, the established um sort of uh path for <laughs> this style of music um are good decisions like yeah. <laughs> they the, work the, the shots that they take and the experimental ideas that they have within each song hit every single time. Right. Um, and and as, that, as you said, it doesn't always, it's not like the entire song is like, okay, we're doing this weird experimental, we're changing time signatures, but there's, there's always one aspect, one instrumentation, one vocal delivery, one something in there. Right. That is a, a shot and a, a, a choice, a, not what you sh- not what you quote unquote should do with the right. type of song, but it always works. Well, a great example. Let's uh let's get into let's get into tracks. Yeah, let's get into tracks. Um, the first track on the album, uh, Rubies, uh, a nine and a half minute Odyssey. I'm gonna say, uh, Odyssey's a good word. Um, yeah, there's nothing in this track in terms of musicality that's super experimental. That's like, um, you know, like you said, t- changing time signatures or like uh, tri- polyrhythms or or crazy chords or anything like that. No massive key changes. Um, but you have um, a sort of driving very simple acoustic guitar mm-hmm. um that is i uh, since you said he's playing rhythm guitar on on this album i would assume that it's dan behar playing yeah this is dan behar doing the acoustic on this song Russian doctor do your worst cut me open remove this first God, that fucking bass just hits in the right way right um, it sits right like in such a good spot in right. the mix too. Something that I wrote down was that it's just, I really enjoy the snare drum. It's a it's a snare drum that just fits so well um, throughout the entire time in in the uses of um, a rolling snare, kind of a drumline snare, or just this the snare throughout the song as uh, part of a basic drum kit. Um, I think the the snare works right. really well in there. I love the fact that. I, I called it a spiraling song where it spirals and outside of what a normal spiraling of getting more complicated, more things happening. It goes from full entire band and it spirals away, deconstructs well, itself it start, into. I wanted to yeah. pop back from the Jackson. They got eyes for your wife and the blood that lives in her. got this heavy distorted electric into intro just guitars and vocals mm-hmm. and then this driving acoustic Umba latin guitar yeah feel um and for a good portion of the song it the the driving parts are that are that uh acoustic rhythm and his vocals um and it builds into these uh 
it builds into this sort of wistful almost chorus with no lyrics. Um, and then, man, at what point in the song it, it cuts out to what feels like a bedroom demo of Dan Behar and right. acoustic guitar. Yeah, I think it's at about like 6.30 or whatever, and then you get just three minutes of what I called it just a quiet, sloppy, emotion-filled, like, one take. We're just going to go for it. It's like you can hear, um, like, you can hear at this end portion, like, um like open strings ringing on the on the guitar that shouldn't be part of the chord that he's trying to play right and uh like it's you know the the microphone's too close to the acoustic and he strums too hard and it clips just a little bit and it and the bass uh the bass is a little too strong like it's something that's not like intentionally not produced um and i want to highlight some of the lyrics that transition between the full instrument instrumentation section mm-hmm. to this uh to the stripped down uh unproduced do, bedroom yeah. section um the last lyrics before the end section are uh all good things must come to an end the bad ones just go on forever do you know what i just said it is now and it is never it is now and it is never and that happens just before you go into this very uh intentionally repetitive full band section mm. that goes on for a very long time with no lyrics but vocal da, da, da. yeah yeah da, 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 da. um that's actually let it, me find it real quick i pulled that as well but what i was able to find lyrically mm-hmm. it doesn't say uh doesn't or what it is uh instead of um it it says isn't that what i just said instead of oh man i didn't look up the lyrics yeah i, I went off of what i assumed yeah, so they were. It, so it says all good things must come to an end the bad ones just go on forever isn't that what i just said it is now or it is never oh man so he's he's changing perspectives yeah he's changing perspectives so i considered this song um the lyric lyrical content is kind of the feeling of like just going insane by mm-hmm. the people around you just and i think that fits with the whole real big band but this this driving feeling of that acoustic and then the band building and building but falling away and building and then it's just the acoustic in the bedroom of just like the way that people around you can make you feel like you're insane because you're Mm. trying to make something happen and you're trying to make certain things happen and then they're like oh we should do that thing it's like i just fucking said that i've been saying that for (laughs) how said yeah uh and yeah i uh it's also like classic destroyer um Mm. the kind of self-referential stuff and the the pointing to the music as it's happening sort of thing right Um, he loves to call out what just happened after it just happened right or as it's about to happen right um like you know the idea of like it is now and it is never talking about things good things ending and bad things going on forever mm-hmm. right before the song transitions into this very repetitive section um before it hard cuts into i'm gonna skip to the end so we can get kind of a feel outside you disrupt the world's disorder just by virtue of your grace you know this is a nine and a half minute song and it feels like it needs that whole nine and a half minutes to yeah. tell the story that it's trying to tell 
it doesn't feel like nine and a half minutes no when you listen all. to it and that's a fucking accomplishment to do an almost 10 minute song that feels like a three minute song right yeah where it 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 doesn't even feel like it's nine minutes it just feels like it's it's a story you know yeah at at some point it doesn't even feel like it's a song just feel like it's a story of this just weird feeling completely out of place song yeah i i i think it is probably the best work on the track um it's not the most fun it's not the most listenable but i think it's the best work i think it's very listenable i I think think i think it hits a very specific um like it's not it's not like a banger like it's not something that you're gonna put on your good times like you know i'm hanging out with my friends and i want to listen to music playlists but uh I I think it's something that like I could easily listen to on a bike ride to work or something. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like I'm not saying it's not listenable, but I it's not the most listenable on the album. Right. For um, sure. Type thing. Um what what else do you have as a as a highlight? Um well, okay, so the next my next star is on Painter in Your Pocket. Okay. Um I'm going to slightly interrupt you cuz if you got, we're going you off got, of track order. Yeah, you got one um, in between those. Yeah, and and just going forward, um what I wrote down for songs that I want to criticize, um my note was none. <laughs> um so, so you got a low point is what you're saying. Yeah, no, so this is actually one of my more high points. Okay. Um I didn't I didn't highlight any of the low points because the low points are like it's a it's a good song that just doesn't do the things it's trying to do as well as the other songs do. So I right. th- there's no real reason to talk about it because it's <laughs> so m- not meh, but like it's it's so good, but not great that right. there's no reason to talk about. It. So the other one that I love a lot um, is European Oils. Mm. Um the piano leading into the intro, uh, the piano descending and the electric guitar scaling down with it, but kind of double timing. Yeah, just this intro, just it just hits in that right space um, with the piano leading on it. It definitely um, really well puts you in like the... Uh, it almost puts you in like a physical space, like right. in, in the first couple seconds of the song, you and I, immediately like kind of know how the song is about to go. And I love how pleasant all the instrumentation is. And then all of the lyrics are about uh, all of the slaughter that has happened in Europe. Right. Specifically, I think he's specifically referencing World War Two or World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the revenge that people are, are trying to take any references a little bit, um, towards like, uh, Marie Antoinette France. Um, cause the lyric that I pulled from this song, um, was when I'm at war, I insist on a slaughter and getting it on with the hangman's daughter. She needs release. She needs to feel at ease with her father, the fucking maniac. And then the solo electric guitar hits, which is the heaviest the entire song gets. Right. And just the the fact that there's that slight pause in between. Uh, she needs to feel at ease with her father. There's a, a slight pause so he can just deliver the fucking maniac. And then the electric hits with one of the heavier electric guitar tones. Right. For the entire album. It's just such a 
it's such it, a it choice. Lands. It lands. It it meshes. I think what this album is kind of going for, where their melody and the lyrics are always at conflict, but always working together. Right, and that's the thing. Like, you know, we we have a very similar uh, idea, a, a very similar um, opinion of this album. I don't have European oils starred. Right. But I but the song works. It does what it sets out to do. Right. In my opinion. And, and the the using of the la 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 like at the the vocal vocalization right. at the end of the song to finish it, which I a criticism I do have of the album is that he goes to that well one like one or two yeah, too many times. Yeah, he relies on it a lot in this yeah. album. Yeah. Um but I I think it works really well as the entire thing cuz it's mixing the whole like people are dying people are sad but also like this instrumentation it's pretty catchy (laughs) it's pretty upbeat isn't it in it in it guys so now yeah let's go to painter let's get a painter because which i think because i think painter in your pocket is probably the most perfect song Yes. <laughs> um, I was going to say the most radio-friendly song on the album. Um, oh, God, what what a good, just everything. That bass, that those drums, that guitar. Oh, the production's Oof. so good, too. Um, so, you know, this is the first time that we've been uh, trying to play that, actually right. play the music yeah, while yeah, we're yeah. talking about it. Um, Which, let us know how we're doing yeah let let us know if it's working or how we can make it more good yeah um part of and i tried to write timestamps down with everything um to sort of like okay here's like a 10 to 15 second clip to to sort of encapsulate the song like Mm -hmm. try to show you as much of the song gist that we can um this song is so dynamic from beginning to end there is no single section of the song that can really explain the song. Right. Um, like, you know, for a lot of songs, you can just go like verse to chorus or pre-chorus and chorus, and you'll kind of get a general understanding of how the song works. But this song changes so much in energy, in instrumentation, right. in uh, tone from beginning to end. Uh, it's, it's really hard to, I mean, yeah, we, we were talking about this in our break that this song has like a, what, 15, 20 second intro that just doesn't relate to the rest of the song at all to the rest of the song. And I'm reminded of the time that I was blinded by the sun. It's got that bedroom demo feel to it for sure. Yeah. And so it goes on like this for like. 15 20 seconds and then the yeah, dr- full, a full verse of just vocals and acoustic guitar in a totally different uh you know totally different sound space mm-hmm. and then the drums come in and it's all just it's toms. all low drums it's yeah yeah low drums low bass um yeah that, that very just sp- comes very in. sparse guitar work too yeah until um, the guitar it, comes in much later in there and then it builds in yeah. your pocket where did you get that line? Where did you get that look? Where did you get that pension? Like, this is a very um, California summer hanging out on the beach, going to the boardwalk vibe to But it's it. also lyrically the best breakup song ever. 
Oh yeah, no, like, <laughs> but like lyrically, it's about like I have to leave, but also if I were to stay, I. I wouldn't be fulfilled as a person if I stayed like you're also driving me away because of your inaction and inability to like evolve as and change as a person. See, and and so this is part of what I love about um, lyrics that are, that are this open to interpretation is that you can have, you can have two people who have very similar backgrounds, have very similar understandings of music and then listen to the same song and have completely different takes on what the lyrics mean. And not that it's completely different, but for me, this song hits a very specific nerve where not that everybody has experienced this, but when you um, have a relationship with somebody and then you regularly run into them in social situations mm, after the fact. Mm, mm. Um, I see that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And it's yeah. like, you know, I feel like a lot of the lyrics in this song are specifically talking about like, okay, you've got a new, I mean, especially that first verse, right? Uh, yeah. I was blinded by the sun and it was better than seeing you hanging like a willow off the arm of yet another, uh, prophetess East Van Punk or something like that. Yeah. I actually took that as I, I had, this was so bad that it, like, I just needed to move. I just need to move away. I'm in a different state now. I'm in a different city. Like, right. Well, I, I just couldn't, I like, it was such a bad time for me that I just needed to get out of everything to get okay. Yeah. It's, it's a good breakup song it's, is, all, is what we're yeah. trying to communicate. Um, and uh, I, lyrically it works so well and musically it's so like, it's a fucking bop. Like, like you said, it's like mm-hmm. a West coast summer. Like, yeah, I could totally see this, you know it's like a driving San, song yeah. sans San, lyrics sans lyrics yeah um it does it all baby <laughs> also i can't tell if they double track his voice for the last few choruses or not yeah but whatever they do yeah it sounds like it's double it sounds tracked. like whatever the effect they have there works so well it, it it just adds that level of like this is a this is a pop song that it and that, that it needs and that's the kind of small production decisions that um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not like it's a huge difference to go from a chorus where the vocals are not double tracked to a chorus where the vocals are double tracked, but it's that small bump in energy, that small expansion of, um, how many tones are contributing right. to the overall sound that takes it slowly inch by inch from the beginning of that, where mm-hmm. it's just vocals and guitar to this almost explosive last chorus where that last double track vocals comes right. in and it's like, yeah, fuck you person. I broke up with who broke up with me more likely. Yeah. Or, you know, we'll figure. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I, in a, in a good way, I don't have anything else referenced as a song that I feel like I need to talk about until the last song on the album. Not because I don't think the rest of the album is great, but I think it all falls within that good but not good enough to like need to talk about. Right. Uh, level. Do you have anything before the end of the album? Uh yeah, see that's the thing. I I have three songs starred and that's only because like those are the best of a very good album. Um the rest of you know, uh man, 
yeah i mean i don't have like i have good notes for all the rest of the songs um but nothing that's like we need to talk about this one right oh i'm gonna reference three songs that i think we need to at least note before we talk about which i think is going to be the same song sick priests learn to last forever Mm -hmm. um the first one is looters folly follies you can huff and you can puff but you'll never destroy that stuff. I just want to talk about, um, that's the song that has sight of uh, saxophone in it. And I think the saxophone is used super well in it. It's a uh, super laid back. There's a good, uh, double time. Um, after I, what I believe is the, what's considered chorus <laughs> in the, um, song. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly melancholy. The entire song is just like, let's live in a melancholy, melancholy, uh, mindset, um, for the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, also it uses, uh, hither toe, hither to, Hitherto, uh, hitherto yeah. unknown. Yeah, um, in, and it works, which I think that's impressive to use hitherto. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, there's a there there's a part of me that's like, uh, uh, I feel very pretentious to to enjoy the fact that somebody would use something like hitherto in the same album. He also uses um, uh, in so far as right and it's like when was the last time you heard in so far as as part of the lyrics of a song (laughs) yeah like that's got to be at least worth a listen (laughs) right exactly um and then the other ones i wanted to to mention which these are all in in a row um because this album is pretty short overall even though it has a longer runtime than uh wasteland baby does which is wild to me because it's such a quick listening comparison uh three thousand flowers super dancey it's yeah. just a it's just a super dancey uh song a- as well it just love all of the instrumentation there's also distortion on the vocal track a little bit there's so actually i want to point out something specific about the vocal track yeah go for um, it because uh this is actually a, a thing that i've thought of before um for tracking my own stuff um is mixing delayed vocals Mm. and uh double tracked because because there are so there are a few different ways to make a a vocal track sound fuller like there's more than one voice right um and you can put delay on it where you just have an echo of what was just said right or you can double track it where you have two different takes of the same thing you can double track it and then uh in software back that away so that it sounds like an echo but slightly different Mm. and uh, I've thought before about like mixing all of those methods so that it seamlessly blends between a perfect uh, echo replica of right. what ju- was just said to a completely different take where the timing is different. Right. And they fucking do this in this song. In a circle. Daughters of the motherland. Like a ship lit up at sea. And it works and it works so really well. well. This is just another one where it's like the vocal track is just so strange that mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be on radio. But the the musicality of it, the instrumentation of it is very dancey, very like if if I went and saw Destroyer Live and they played this song, this would be like the song where 
off this album that it would be like the mosh pit would happen you know type thing right. i like, i wrote that uh it's got like kind of a punk influence to it that uh it you know not i wouldn't consider this a punk song at all no um but it's got that sort of like up tempo yeah um sort of it's got a little edge to it it's yeah. driving in comparison to that and also i just want to point out um i really appreciated these lyrics which are towards the end mm-hmm. um as the music lovers sat cross-legged in the sand and in the and in time and in space and in other words in a band too much like churchgoers <laughs> just very self-referential of like yeah we're these thoughtful weird like hippies that are music lovers and we're in a band and we're basically just people who go to church <laughs> uh funny enough so uh that reminds me i've seen destroyer live oh hell yeah um, and uh they were great uh <laughs> real real quick note uh that was the last time i will go to a show high <laughs> We we talked Yeah, that's fair. We talked about last episode how I get really really baked really fast, really easily and it lasts a long time. Um I just don't enjoy myself in public if I'm high and uh going to a show where I you know, am really want to focus on and enjoy the music right. and feeling like everybody's watching me and that I'm about to get kicked out at any moment. Not, not a great place. Yeah, no, you got, you got to wait for the next time you go see walk the moon to get baked again. I am not going to see walk the moon. I mean, you've already seen them twice. What's another time? Oh, Dude, you were talking about Young the Giant. Oh, t- whatever. They are not the same. I thought you said you saw Walk the Moon twice. I apologize. It's saw Young My the bad. Giant. My bad. Okay. Any fucking way. The only other what thing... I was saying, What I was going to say is that when I saw Destroyer, <laughs> it was a seated show. Oh, uh, yeah. No, never, never get high on a seated show. It was still a good show. Right. Aside from this one woman who... <laughs> There was this person in the audience who kept yelling, I love your butt! Show us your butt! To Dan Behart. <laughs> Ugh, it was so fucking annoying. Okay, but does he have a good butt? No. <laughs> oh. Like, I'm gonna be real. I, like, maybe he does, but not in the pants he was wearing that night. <laughs> That's just disappointing at that point. Yeah. Jeez. I, the only other thing I wanted to mention before we go deep into another song is uh, Dangerous Woman Up to a Point and Priest Knees. Mm-hmm. Those two songs feel like they're one and the same. Um, and not saying that they are the same song, just split up into two tracks because that they wouldn't do that in this band because they already have like a few six and seven and nine minutes. <laughs> and songs. almost ten minutes, nine and a half yeah. minutes. Um, yeah, the, I, the two, those two songs together... I would say are a dip in the album. Um, mm-hmm. I I like I please, um, but again, that's not like I don't think there are any bad tracks on this album. No, it's yeah. just like these aren't as engaging and like uh, you know they don't grab me as much as the other tracks on the album. For do. me, it felt like they were trying to capture late era Beatles in these songs. I can kind of see that, yeah. Yeah, just a little, just like slightly, um, oh, we have so much time in the studio and we're going to find these really interesting chords and we're going to like, oh, not overproduce, but like 
just really go through these songs. We're not trying to, um, you know, not early era Beatles where they're like, all right, here's an album. And three months later, here's the other album. You know, they, they're trying to think about it a little more and try to be a little more musical, but it feels very 60s, 70s, uh, rock and roll. Um, even though the fact that in Priest Knees, he says West Coast Maximalist, which I just think is a great term. He calls himself a West Coast Maximalist. Yes. Assuming that he's speaking from his own perspective. Yeah. Um, which I just, I just think that's a, that's a, just, just, I love that. It's just a good term. It's just a great, um, turn of phrase. Um, Right. And so the last one I think that we really need to to touch on is uh, Sick Priest Learns to Last Forever, um, which is the last song on the album and is the most different song in the album, I would say. It is definitely an outlier in terms of uh, genre and feel. Sick Priest will learn to last forever. It sounds like uh, it sounds like a band that grew up listening to Led Zeppelin, right? Uh, yeah, it's very skip ahead, very bluesy, bluesy, uh, gospely with a lot of uh, like Doors, Led Zeppelin in- influence on it, right? Um, musicality wise uh, on the entire album. Also, the piano in that part just just goes, and I I love the fact that they're just like, all right, and for this song, uh, piano just just do your shit. Piano go as hard as you want. Yeah. Um. um I what my what what I think makes the fucking song is that guitar, uh, during the chorus that does those, like I don't even know how to classify. Da, da, it. Da, no, it's da, da. it's the. Well, I think that's very telling that you said when the guitar does its thing and I went to a different thing. <laughs> it has great piano solos. It has great guitar tone. It has a great great guitar solo as well. Like just everything about it. I love the fact that in the what I consider the, the third verse, quote unquote, because uh-huh. um, it's very hard to classify what the lyrics like lyrical structure of this song is. Right. Um that they just allow the piano to continue to just kind of all right, and for this ver- verse or these um, set of lyrics, just continue to to mm-hmm. noodle and and play and and just play within the scale, and we got you uh, on the back end. I I really love that, um, and I also really appreciated uh, these are the lyrics I pulled for this song. Yeah. Um, in spite of Western sacrifice, we auction off the sword. But Damascus never asked us to write another song about being bored with Our Lady, this immaculate currency. Um, and just kind of a this entire song is about how the church has been around and approved of every single great atrocity that Western mm-hmm. civilization has ever done. Um, and no matter sure. no matter how corrupt or reformed the church attempts to get, uh, it's just continues to happen for some reason. Weird. 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 Um so yeah, it just in general, just a just a, a banging solid, album. A solid fucking album. I'm this, glad it exists. This was his seventh album as Destroyer, and it was the first one that really hit any level of commercial success. Mm-hmm. Um because everything else before then was it just didn't hit the right level of pop um and laid back um 
kind of he considered it dad rock a little bit when he released <laughs> it um not in a bad well kind of in a dismissive way but right. he was like i'm yeah i'm really surprised that like my dad rock album got <laughs> such good um reception but it makes sense that it's like it's a, it's an incredibly listenable album it's it sits within a general genre but it still gets experimental and and brave with some of the choices that it makes both instrumentally and and production wise uh and it showcases his his lyricism pretty well i think overall what are your kind of last thoughts because this is the first album that we've not really had like any yeah we haven't really have any had any uh negative like truly negative thoughts about it um yeah i it's a very solid album i don't it's not my favorite destroyer album for sure. Okay. Um, the best songs on it are really fucking good. Right. Um, the lyrical content is really good. I wish I had more time to dive into it. I didn't even have time to look up the lyrics. Um, but it's, yeah, it's good. I'm really happy that we did this one and I'm glad to know more songs from, destroyer's repertoire right for sure i think for me lyrically he it's either too obscure or it just doesn't hit with what he's going for on some Mm -hmm. um songs like um oh which one was it uh a dangerous woman up to a point is a lot of classical literature references and other cultural references right and it's just like okay i don't know if that really was necessary and i think he uses uh vocalization uh within each song as a as a crutch a little bit mm-hmm. um i think um based off of some of the other stuff i've heard from him um his songwriting gets a little more mature if that makes any sense whether or not it's lyrically as uh dense or interesting is is up for debate but i think it gets more mature as a songwriter as it goes along which makes sense because mm. this was 15 years ago yeah no this this album definitely has more of that kind of off the cuff feel than some of his later stuff Mm -hmm. um he still has that sort of opaqueness and that sort of like um you know fuck your rhyme schemes fuck your rhythm right like i i i say what i'm gonna say and i don't care if you like it or not um and this one kind of feels um you know, even more so in that direction. Uh, and maybe, maybe to a fault, right. but I really enjoy it just because it's, it's a break from the lyrical approach that a lot of people have. And I think the fact that even if his lyrical approach is maybe a little too much or doesn't always hit, which the- might, sorry, <laughs> I just realized that that might be really hypocritical after we, after I fucking went in on 10 for basically the same thing. No, you're good. It's, <laughs> different it is different um which i think the lyrical like even when he's attempting for stuff and he doesn't hit it at least he's like using prose and non-rhyming lyrical schemes and interesting verbiage right rather he definitely swings in and out of uh he he swings in and out of rhyme schemes as he wants to Mm -hmm. which is something that I've totally stolen from him on a couple of occasions. <laughs> I really love doing that. But no matter how quality or um, in and out the 
lyrics are uh, on this album, which is debatable based off of everyone's personal preference. The musicians and the musicality of this entire album is just, hey, you kind of like 60s, 70s, easy listening rock and roll, right? Here you go. Don't listen to the lyrics. It's great for you. <laughs> Um, uh, do you have, right. do you have reviews? I do uh, have reviews from other people. I do have reviews from other people. Um, surprise, surprise! A not a whole lot of contemporary slash even modern reviews, really, because yeah. most of the focus that he's gotten has come with his later works, right. um, which I think his his like break into the mainstream, quote unquote, whatever that means, happened more towards like twenty eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like even five years before that, but Pitchfork reviewed it. Uh, Matt LeMay for, for Pitchfork gave it an 8.5. Way to go, Matt. Uh, he said the album is structurally complex, thematically dense and labyrinthian in its self-referentiality. Mm. Uh, Dan Behar's vocals are like many of his indie contemporaries, yelpy and dramatic. And many of his lyrics seem preordained to serve as MP3 blog headers mp3 blog headers again this is 2006 it predates myspace interesting but basically like an an aim message like how everyone would have like so like for the edgy right. teens no, i gotcha yeah I for gotcha. the edgy teens hitherto his lyrics, unknown baby yeah exactly all right <laughs> um in other words the qualities that once made destroyers albums so quote-unquote difficult make destroyers rubies a perfect record for this critical moment all right. Uh, Spin, uh, which Spin was only a, a physical publication at the time, so mm-hmm. I wasn't able to go and find anything. Uh, they gave it an A-. minus. Okay. Uh, and then All Music gave it a 4 out of 5. I wasn't able to grab the um, reviewer's name from it because I also couldn't tell when they reviewed it either because all music is great for getting um track listings and credit listings not super great at uh chronologically their uh reviews when when those happen chronologically i like that yeah um but they said uh in reference to kind of the entire album in general but it's more than just the art house theater to the new pornographer's twin cinema it is the absinthe drunk projectionist reveling in the sheer he- hedonism of it all. All right. That's a that's a statement. It is a statement. I like the idea of like yeah, the new pornographers, that's like what the general public's supposed to see and then destroyer, you're not supposed to see this shit. Right. <laughs> this, this is this, this is, is not is when per- you pull back the shower curtain. <laughs> this is when you accidentally find your way into the dressing room and you see what the uh your heroes are actually like type vibe. Which I mean, I don't fully agree with, but I get what they're going for with the No, I get it too. Um, I don't fully disagree with it either. I mean, uh, like uh, that sort of in a way that's how i feel about destroyer and spencer krug because Mm. having look you can't have somebody who says in so far and hitherto in their lyrics (laughs) and 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 like ah man i don't know like there's there's a part of me that's like i can't like tell people that i like destroyer right because like he references like like 
fucking what like i don't even know what he's referencing he references a lot of like classical literature and talking about how led zeppelin and the stones and pink and uh pink floyd and everyone who loves those bands are always at war with each other even though they're all the same but also hey don't pay attention to the fact that we're also just aping their sound (laughs) yeah super hedonistic or not hedonistic but uh uh, nihilistic yeah it's it's a lot of um don't look at what the right hand's doing uh take just pay attention to the left hand types (laughs) thing it's more like pay attention to whatever hand you want to it's all fucked anyway (laughs) Um, and the only kind of like more modern updated take on the album, uh-huh. um, that I was able to find was that Pitchfork, um, ranked it 158 out of their 200, uh, top albums for the two thousands, which I think for the new pornographers guys, solo band, the first time they hit commercial success. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but none of that fucking matters. Yeah, let's give it the only score that not fucking matters. The list. So we're ranking this. This one is out of six. So we can give it a a one to a six. Yes. Jared, I'm gonna let you go first because you recommended this album to us. Uh, I'm I'm gonna give it a five out of six. Okay. And that's because while I love the best songs on the album and the worst songs on the album are still good. The worst songs on the album are still fairly forgettable. Right. Um, I, yeah. Like if you asked me to hum you a section of pre sneeze, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to. Right. Um, Whereas, like, Ruby's has been stuck in my head on repeat for the last 24 hours. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think that if one or two of the more forgettable tracks were were bumped up a bit in in, uh, overall quality. Right. um, I think that maybe it would get a perfect score. Uh, But as it stands... Uh, I thoroughly love this album. It's not perfect. I'm going to end up a five out of six. All right. I'm just doing some uh, quick math, not in my brain, but on my calculator because uh, that's the type of person I am. All right. That's what I thought. All right. So by giving it a five out of six, um, if we were giving it like on a 10 rating system, Mm -hmm. um, being 83%, which I agree with. I think it's 83%. I mean, if we could give halves, I'd give it like, well, honestly, if we could give it quarters, I'd give it like five and a quarter. Five and a quarter. Out of six. I'd give, uh, it, I'd give it five and a half. Because that's where I'm at with it, where it's like, the fact that it, after I listened to this, kind, not nonstop, but decently on repeat over the last two weeks, specifically mm-hmm. the last week. When I went in for like the critical take on everything, I thought I had more songs that I would want to pick out and talk about. Yeah. Um, but the fact that there was only like really three that I was like, I, I need to talk about these outside of wanting to mention some of the more interesting musicality aspects of some of the songs. Right. Um, I think does drag it down a little bit, but it's just a solid album. It's just one of those where outside of like two two or three songs you could just throw it on on almost any single playlist and it would it would work it would work for any vibe you're going for it's definitely not the best album ever 
Um, I think a lot of the over-reliance on the vocalization within every single song um, g- gets a little grating at yeah, some points. The, non- um, the non-lyrical vocalizations. Yeah, but just a just a sol- solid album. So with a five out of six, um, to revisit the list as it currently states, the best album of all time is Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron. Mm-hmm. The second best album of all time is Boarding House Reach by Jack White. The third is Blood Pressures by The Kills. The fourth is Ten by Pearl Jam. And the fifth best album of all time, and currently the worst album of all time, is Wasteland Baby by you, Hoysier. You, you you skipped Destroyer's Rubies. And so with a five out of six... Oh, oh, sorry. I got you now. Gil Scott Heron and Boarding House Reach by Jack White at number two. How do you w- feel about that, Jared? I want to bump it up. You want to bump it up? I want to bump it up because I look pieces of a man is great. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot more forgettable for me mm-hmm. forgettable tracks. It's hard, you know, side what would be side a and side B are so much the same on that album. Um, It's hard to differentiate between songs, right? The weak songs on destroyers rubies are, at least uh you know diverse from each other okay um and i think i i think that that deserves a bump up and also like i i liked that album by gil scott heron i still want to pick you up pick up a copy of it i don't think any of those songs are going to go on playlists anytime soon Mm, that's fair that's fair it's actually really interesting um because while i do agree that i think just Destroyers Rubies is a better album. I'm trying to decide whether or not I think Boarding House Reach is a better album than Destroyers Rubies. Oh my god, you're trying to bump the other way? Not because I think it doesn't deserve to be higher than Pieces of a Man, but... Does it deserve to be? Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah, you know what? I was just thinking. I I was only thinking in the up direction. I wasn't thinking in the down direction. Because I think you the, got me. F- my uh. my reasoning for it going down one is that I think Destroyers Rubies is a fantastic middle of the road album. Like it is the the best you can get in middle of the road, where it has some fantastic tracks. It doesn't have any bad tracks. Yeah. But Boarding House Reach has, like, some all-time songs on it. Okay, hear me out, though. I would love to hear you out. Well, okay, if we're talking about has some all-time songs on it, have you heard Painter in Your Pocket? Have you heard Rubies? Uh, (laughs) No, uh, hear me out. Mm -hmm. If you were to suggest either of these albums to your friends... Uh Uh-huh. Which one of them do you think is more likely? Like, it's not, you know, this is our opinion. It should, right. it's not, never mind. Fuck me. <laughs> I, uh, so for me, this, this, this album is more listenable, though. I don't no, know. No, I, I agree that this album is more listenable. I deeply agree that this is a much more listenable album. That's really album. all I was getting at. Yeah. No, Um. I think I would still recommend Boarding House Reach to, to friends, though, because I think it's more modern in, in that sense. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Let's do it. Um, so I I'm not saying we have to bump it down. No, let's bump it down. Okay. If you're if you're down if you're down to down, I'm down to down. I'm down to down because I think 
with what we're going for and what we like as musicians and as appreciators of of music i think boarding house reach fits more into what we are looking for from albums than destroyers rubies not saying destroyers rubies is is bad it is the if destroyers rubies continues to be the best like middle of the road but man it's so good right album that we have fantastic i would love it like i would i would this is a i don't know if i would buy the vinyl of this this is the issue that we that we run that we ran into because I, because I listened to the last episode recently, because I hadn't listened to it at all, right? And uh, the reason that Pieces of a Man is above uh, um, Boarding House Boarding Reach. House Reach is not necessarily because we think it's a better album, but because we literally can't put Pieces of a Man below an album that is that is literally just a white man whose entire musical identity is based off of black music right and this is something we can revisit and the thing is i i think that like just purely in terms of how good the album is i think that destroyers rubies is not as good as boarding house reach but is better than (laughs) pieces of a man do you want to do you want to we can revisit. We can not right now. No, this is later. We can revisit. No, this, is, this is part of the nature of uh, of this massive experiment that we're doing. It is, is true that like pe- things are just going to end up in wonky spots. That and is that's, true. We just have to live with it. I'm really excited for um, Boarding House Reach, Pieces of a Man, and Destroyers Rubies to stay top three for a hot sec because it's going to be a hard. It's going to be hard for us to probably find that's an true, album yeah. that is either more consistent. Than Destroyers Rubies right. has higher highs than Boarding House Reach, or is more influential than Pieces of a Man. All so right. this is going to be interesting to see what happens. Let's bump it down. Okay, so the list now, after all of this... Oh wait, we got to come up with our soundbite for a down bump. <laughs> Dear listeners, we do not ask of much for you during these times. Similar to OPB... We are funded by you, the listeners, and by funding, I mean, please, please give us <laughs> if suggestions. You can come up with a good soundbite for when we bump down. Yeah, if you can come up with a good soundbite for when we bump something down, we will reference you and be eternally grateful for you. And then maybe eventually, if you're close enough in the area, we'll bake you cookies and send it your way. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's hear the list. All right. So the list <laughs> currently is. Num- the number one album of all time is Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron. The second best album of all time is Boarding House Reach by Jack White. The third best album, also in the top half of all albums of all time, is Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer. The fourth best album, but also in the bottom half of all albums ever created, is Blood Pressures by The Kills. The fifth best album... And also second worst album of all time is 10 by Pearl Jam. And the worst album, but also the sixth best album ever recorded is Wasteland Baby by Hosier. I wonder at, at what point are we going to stop going through the list in its entirety? Probably once we get past 10. Once we get past 10. Yeah. Uh, that might be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get our next albums up. Yeah. Let's get our next albums. I got the D10. Okay. Here we go. Uh, wait, I'm going first? Okay. Yeah, go first. Ten. I got a ten. All right, so 
for Jared's album next week, we are going to be listening to Big Nat Big Mess by Danny Elfman. Oh, oh. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you thought 14 tracks was a long album? <laughs> Listen. The the track it doesn't matter how many tracks, it matters what's in your heart. We're going to have some takes on that one. I'm All just right. telling you now. So I am going now. And that is a four, correct? That looks like a four to me. Oh, hell yes. We are doing The Beautiful Game by Wolfpack. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is going to be a very interesting episode. I, I am like. very excited. Uh, and... A fun update. We are slightly changing up how we thought we were going to do um, episodes. We were eventually thinking we were going to hit three three albums an episode. We have too many opinions. We like talking about music too much. So we're going to be staying at two albums an episode. But every five episodes that we do, we're going to be pulling two from our friends and family list is what we're calling it. At the moment. So any of you dear listeners, you can either reach out to Jared or myself, um, either through personal means. If you have personal means, uh, Jared is on Instagram and uh, also Instagram. And you can find him on either of his Instagrams. Uh, And you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. And you can tell either of us albums that you want to recommend for the uh, friends and family episode uh the first one which will be happening not this next one but the one after so you got about four weeks to get those recommendations to us as always you can find us on literally every single podcast platform that you can possibly find we're on apple we're on google we're on spotify we're on stitcher we're on tumblr we're on uh, wait (laughs) do we want to be on tumblr uh Check out our OnlyFans at. <laughs> uh, you can find us. What, wait, on... no. What is it now? Fansly. OnlyFans. No, no, because uh, never mind. <laughs> oh right, because OnlyFans was like, no, we don't like sex workers anymore. Anyways, uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Tape Makers Pod. You can find us on Instagram. No, not yet. I've not made an Instagram yet. I can do the Instagram. Okay, so Jared will take care of the Instagram because he he's because I already run like five because <laughs> he's a youth. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Tape Makers Pod. Uh, you will be able to email us at tapemakerspod at gmail dot com, uh, and eventually we'll get a Twitter once I feel like I have the capacity to make another Twitter and and subject myself to that hellscape one all over again. <laughs> Uh, as always, I've been Josh Doler, and I've been joined by Jared Richard. Jared, thank you so much for sharing your musical opinions with the people today. I do what I can. And for all of you listening, thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Next time. Oh, fuck.